Commandant friends, it's Laura. Happy Mother's Day to everyone. I am bringing you episode 18 of season 3 of the Mama Docs Power Podcast. Today, I had the pleasure of talking with Dr. Jennifer Hopp, who you may well know from her recent posts. Um, she's taking a little break from work. She uh, is just dealing with some health issues. She was diagnosed with breast cancer a couple weeks ago, got her surgery uh, 12 days ago, I believe, because I spoke to her yesterday. So we speak all about her diagnosis and her recovery from her successful surgery. The plan going forward, we talk about her career as a neurologist, her life in Maryland with her husband and her beautiful son, Jake, her journey to get Jake um, through international adoption, and of course, her running journey, which um, is a fascinating story of how she got involved in running. It involves CPR and saving lives, but uh, to hear the full story, you got to listen to the whole podcast. Anyway, happy Mother's Day to all, and please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Jennifer Hopp. Hey! Oh my gosh! (laughs) Can you hear me? I can. So that was apparently the magic bullet. Oh my god! I have I send these things to Facebook Messenger all the time. I have no idea. I the only thing I can imagine is that I have some kind of like weird. Um, you know, privacy settings or something, but I have yeah. no idea. I literally like unloaded it and downloaded yes. it. And... Yes. It, oh my it, God. This thing is so cranky though. Like sometimes it works seamlessly. Other times, um, just recently, I don't know if your um, screen will kind of go off because you're not touching it, but you may have to like like prevent your phone from going to sleep kind of thing and like touch it every like three or four minutes which sounds really weird but like (laughs) I have that problem I mean if you've listened to the podcast before like I don't know I had a problem maybe a couple times ago where it just kept on shutting off so anyway it's working for now (laughs) sounds good so let me ask you another like practical question this sounds very echoey for me in here yeah um, I'm going to move because there is like no quiet place in my house in general. I, I totally get it. Yeah, I'm like so... hiding everywhere, but I'm going to try. Um, I'm going to try to be in my bedroom because that was the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I have recorded in my bathroom. I have recorded in my closet. I've recorded... <laughs> Like in my New York City apartment, I there's nowhere, and like half of them, I'm sure you hear like violin playing or <laughs> dog barking. And I'm at my house, so I actually have a room right now. But I'm sure someone's gonna walk in in any second. Even though I told like, do not come into my room, do not bother me. Right, but, right. All right. Well, I'm I'm out of the bathroom, which was like way too echoey. So I'm gonna try my bedroom, and you know, there's a chance my seven year old will run in, but whatever. Yeah. So. I mean, it's perfectly clear right now. Like I can hear you really well. So that's amazing. And yay, it's working. (laughs) (laughs) It's like try number three, but yes. I know. And the other thing logistically, I probably will cut all this out or I may not because people just like to hear us talk. Um, The Anchor app, like is long, the longer the interview is, the worse this like out of sync that you and I get. And then we basically are talking on top of each other after 30 minutes. So I think what I'll do in like 20, 30 minutes, we'll like end and then I'll resend a link and then we'll like just continue the conversation. Um, but anyway, yay. Welcome Dr. Jennifer hop to the podcast. (laughs) Hi. Finally. Great to be here. Finally. Yeah. I'm so glad we're able to figure it out. Um, you are a neurologist in Maryland. Is that right? It exactly. Yep. I'm kind of between Baltimore and Washington, DC. Okay, great. And um, there's so much to talk to, but like talk about, but let's start with the most recent stuff. Um, 
you're a little out of commission. Although I saw some good walking going on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, uh, it's not as um, as I you know I do not berate myself for my speed, but it is not much off of my normal running speed, okay. which is good. Um, but yeah, I just um, I am not a normally like good veg out and Netflix person, which um, you know I was really trying to look forward to postoperatively, but. Um, I also, from like a medical standpoint, was a little bit really, um, worried about getting blood clots. I have a I have a clotting disorder, and so I was actually on Lovenox, which was super fun and a whole other story of like injecting myself every day after surgery. Um, but I think I probably made a little bit more of an effort to just not be in bed. I mean, I don't think I really needed to be, but I just, I wanted to get out. I wanted fresh air. And, um, and as we'll probably talk about a little bit, yeah, I was like in the middle of training for this half. And so, you know, kind of bummed I wasn't running. And, um, so I got out and walked. Um, actually awesome. I was kind of laughing at myself because one of the, the things after my, my first appointment with my surgeon was I had said like, well, you know, at the end of this whole long discussion, right, as I, I said, well, I, I know this is kind of silly, but when can I run? And now I look back and think she must have, she's fab, fabulous, but like, she must have just thought you, you're going to know, like, right? Like, you're not, I don't know what I thought, but it certainly was not going to be two or three days afterwards. So <laughs> the, the, the walking was, was great. And I had um, a couple neighborhood friends who like just joined me and we, walked through the neighborhood up to like get juice and, you know, fresh air. So it was great. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, your surgery was last, I want to say Tuesday. Is that right? Monday? Yeah. Not this week, was... but it was the week before. Exactly. Well, and I counted it by the Lovenox. So that's how I know. <laughs> I'm like, this was my first regular aspirin day. So I'm post-op day 11 today. Okay. Exactly. And you, did you have a lumpectomy or a mastectomy? I had a lumpectomy, which, um, you know, I'm interested in probably in talking more to like all these wonderful breast surgeons and surgeons who use this, this terminology, because I think, you know, as a neurologist, I am so, so far from surgery. And I, I felt like just a complete idiot when, when talking to my, my docs about it, cause just, you know, I had like third year medical student knowledge. And so I, it was lumped back to me, but I have to say it, it was more of a surgery than I expected. Um, mm. you know, so yeah, it's, I, I guess, technically partial mastectomy and lymph node removal. So I have two incisions, um, but it was a, and has been a way, um, I think, easier recovery than friends of mine who have done mastectomies, which I think mm. is a much bigger deal. Right. Uh, with left or right side? It is my right. Um, and that was that. It's funny you ask. So you're you're a surgeon, right? I am. Well, I'm a gynecologist. Well, so yes, yeah, we right. are. It's more we of are a surgeon surgeons, than I. But... So uh, um, yeah, and and that is something I hadn't really thought about either. I, I'm left-handed, but um, you know, I think I'm much stronger on my right side, mm. and and so just kind of thinking of like what you're doing, getting back to driving and stuff. It really it did make a difference. But um, yeah. Well, Oh, but you are left-handed, so interesting. Um, and I had heard you did write a post. The margins were clear, and the lymph nodes were negative. Um, so, what is? Did, did you meet with your doctor about treatment or not yet? Yeah. So, yeah, and that was a um, that was like the most nerve-wracking period, I think, because right. You know, I, I have a good friend whom I work with who always said kind of like, don't borrow trouble. And I, I love that expression. And, you know, and it, it it makes sense, but it is actually kind of hard to internalize. Right. Like, I, I don't know. In reality, I, I wasn't worrying about it all the time, but it's it was absolutely on my mind every day until we got that that information back. Um, and I'm sure everybody on this call can appreciate this. But the way I learned that was not ideal, not because of my doctor, but, you know, this whole law where you now, uh, information is released to patients immediately. Um, it's a whole other discussion I probably could talk about for, for a day, but, um, it literally just popped up on my phone. And in fact, mm. that's how I learned I had breast cancer in the first place. These, these alerts like popped up on my phone 
with um, information from the EMR. So yeah, from the, the margins and node standpoint, it kind of popped up, you have this new result and my poor surgeon's trying to like catch up with me, like getting these results first, but it was a big relief because I, in the back of my mind, I, you know, was worried about having to kind of go back to surgery. I knew I could handle it, but no one wants to go back. And the nodes being negative was just enormous because that was the, you know, 180 degree difference between having chemo and, and not. So, right. Um, so at least that does not seem, there's still oncotype results back coming back, but it does not seem like that's um, necessary. And so, yeah, I did, I talked to my doc. She's been absolutely unbelievable, like has talked to me by phone a lot. I've seen her in person. And um, so I do my actual post-op check in like two weeks. And then uh, about five or six weeks from now, I will start radiation. So I have to have more appointments for that, but um, they are <laughs> super cool to basically, the timing worked great because I could do the surgery, have this recovery period and go out to Wyoming in between and then come back and do radiation like the week that I come back from the Teton. So um, it just happened that the, the timing worked out, but that was a huge, huge relief um, to get those results. I, I feel like enormous weight was lifted. Amazing. I feel like we all like breathed out a like sigh of relief when we um, saw your post. So we're so happy for you. Um, Are you so I'm sure you've obviously taken time off from work, but what did you make your work schedule for the next like couple of weeks? Like your treatment, um, radio, you know, um, radiation. So what is that going to look like? Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I just like the response everybody gave, by the way, to the post, like I, I've never been a poster until I joined this group. And I have yeah. to say, like, it sounds super, super corny, but like that flood of responses back, I, it was just, I mean, it was just absolutely overwhelming because I was so excited, but you know, I'm kind of sitting here by myself. myself right? So like, it was really cool. Um, yeah. And for work, you know, it's, the funny part is kind of the easier part of figuring out work is over. Cause like, you know, if you're going to be out for surgery or any procedure, you kind of know, you know what the recovery time is. So I had to just like clear my schedule. And so, um, I have a lot of administrative work. I have clinical work, but, um, I run our epilepsy division. So a ton of what I do is like hard to compartmentalize. It's just a lot of like basically being available for everybody. Mm. Um, so that was the the trickier part. My my group is unbelievable. My chair is amazing. And so I ended up in the beginning kind of, you know, deciding to be less private than I normally would be and and really shared it with everyone so that they could come in. And so to your point that, you know, the first part was basically that as of that Tuesday, I was just going to be out, right? Like I I could not be in the office. I wasn't going to see patients. And I, I knew um, that I should just take the time, which I have to say, I don't think I've been off that much in, in a really long time. And I admittedly like still work, like I'm sitting there, I'm doing work emails and stuff, but I wasn't doing patient care, which was helpful and less stressful. <laughs> um, and then I went back this past Wednesday. I just kind of, I felt like I kind of needed to, I could drive. Um, so, you know, post-op, I was, I was kind of cleared to go. The rest has been really muddy. Um, and I don't, I don't know how it's going to be. So like this, you know, (laughs) radiation schedule is totally TBD. Like, um, they, I, I actually, I work at University of Maryland. I'm going to Hopkins for my treatment. That's kind of long story. It's not for privacy. It just ended up, that's where my surgeon was. And so, I'm going to try to get what is apparently the coveted like seven or 8 a.m. radiation spot. Um, So you get up early, you go, and then you can go to work. Um, But apparently like everybody wants that. So we'll, we'll see if I, if I'm successful. And I think that's going to be huge because right. If I have to like go over there in the middle of the day, um, it, it's, it's kind of logistically a little bit difficult. So I, I don't know. I, I decided that 
you know, with COVID, we're doing partial kind of in-person, partial virtual. So I'm, I'm not going to do as much in-person just because I felt like it's just, it's more difficult for my patients if I have to like cancel and reschedule. And so the virtual stuff's a little bit more flexible. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm back now. I'm doing everything I'm going to do. When I come back for radiation, I, I'm just planning on kind of seeing what the schedule is and going from there. You know, I don't do stuff like like many of you where I have to kind of be in the OR and do physical things. So I think at this point, being a neurologist ends up being helpful because I can kind of, frankly, sit at a desk a lot. Um, but uh, but I don't know. And this the whole kind of aspect of the fatigue is is kind of uh, unclear, right? So the, the surgeon had said to me, you know, you get, you get tired, or the radiation oncologist said to me, you get tired, you know, you get fatigued. And I was like, well, I'm already kind of exhausted much of the time. So like, what are we talking about? Um, so I don't know. I, I don't think I'll be getting up at 5.30 to run anymore, you know, for a while, but, um, but we'll see. I, I figure can figure that out, right? So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Right. Wow, you went to work basically eight days after you had surgery. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Is that unusual? I don't think it's that unusual. Though. Is that? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'll, you know, those ladies out there. That, <laughs> that seems quick to me, though. Yeah, you know, I. But again, like, it's it's not like I'm doing anything miraculous. I, I sat at a desk, right? So. I drove in and I sat at my desk and I did virtual appointments and um, I, I was really, you know, all joking aside, I was really trying to not push it. I didn't want to like injure myself. I, I, um, I, I probably could have stayed home longer, but I just felt like I wanted to ease into it. It was pretty easy work days. I you know, saw patients virtually and did meetings in my office. Like it was not particularly strenuous. Um, I think commuting on 95 was probably... <laughs> more stressful than, than anything else, but it, it was okay. Um, and I'm not, I'm not on call. I'm not on service right now. So I, I don't think it's, um, you know, it's anything super unusual, but I, I feel okay. Like I feel it hurts still, but I feel okay to kind of move around. So I think it's good for like mental health to just, you know, go back and do what, what's normal yeah. in a sense. So you are, amazing this sound you know you sound amazing and I mean if it's good for your mental health then yes it's um but still like you know I'm sure I'm sure you'll take time and some space if you need some later though yeah and you know it's funny because it's like even my husband was like oh I can't believe you went back I have to say like now that maybe that's more of a mental thing for me because it's I mean it's not like I this is all normal to me but um, I actually found it harder to work in many ways the month before surgery, like the four weeks between the diagnosis and surgery, mm. because it, it was really hard, not from a physical standpoint, but I probably was more tired then and more worn out because, you know, for anybody that's had kind of any kind of diagnosis like this, or let alone like any big life event, right, it is just rocks your world. And so um, I found it really hard to concentrate. I was like overwhelmed because it's like a full-time job to go and, you know, half of it was virtual, but like plastic surgery and radonc and medonc and hematology. And it was, I have to say that month was way harder than this is. And, and now I have a plan and I know what's happening. I was, I had no idea. Like, I didn't know if I had metastatic cancer or not. And I had no idea what was happening. And so, you know, it's all relative. And I think anybody, you, you handle it because you don't, you know, you don't have a choice, you have to do it. Um, but for me, like having a handle on a plan and like understanding what was happening, going to work ends up being no big deal. It was that first month that was the hardest. Right. For sure. Right. Oh, well, I'm glad we have a diagnosis, you have a plan, and it's and you're healing well. So all of this is so amazing. Um, let's talk about running a little bit, because you told me you have a very funny story to tell. Oh, well, yeah, like not ha ha funny, but like crazy funny. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first part it was just how I, um, you know, got into this, because um, I, I really 
hated running to be perfectly honest. And I'm sure that, you know, I'm not the only person who kind of started out this way, but um, I, I always did sports. I, you know, I don't know that I was like the biggest athlete, but I, I, I liked being active. Right. Um, but I hated the running part. In fact, like in high school, I was in hockey and lacrosse, but I was goalie. So I didn't have to run. That's like mm. how much I did not like running. And, um, I was probably fast at the time because I was like 16 years old, but that was it. And so fast forward, like, you know, into adulthood and into my forties, I just really wasn't exercising or doing anything. And, you know, like skiing here or there in the winter twice (laughs) or doing little things, but nothing super active. And, um, and, and so I, I didn't really think much about it or like all these people who are working out and doing things. And then um, about four years ago, I, I used to have an appointment at the VA in addition to my university appointment. And um, it was for, we had to go over there in addition to university for CPR recertification. So basically, um, you know, and God knows like neurologists don't normally thank God have to do this. It's not something thankfully that I do, let alone that I keep up on. And um, so I go over there and I spend quite a bit of time with the instructor who like reteaches me CPR and, and I'm short, I'm like five, three. And so I'm getting up on this um, step stool to do the compressions on the dummy. And, you know, now, you know, I'm, I'm almost 50, but certainly when we first started, we didn't have all these like fancy mannequins. And so it showed you, right, your compressions. And I couldn't do it so well. I mean, it is crazy to like think back on it, but you know, it had like this signal almost like bars on your phone and it was like not going up and he's like harder, harder. And I thought, well, like maybe it's just because I'm small, but I'm kind of, but I was freaking out of breath. Like I was so out of shape, even though like I wasn't particularly like, you know, overweight or like looking like I was out of shape, I was physically completely out of shape. Mm. And um, it somehow was like this cliched light bulb that I was freaked out. And here I was, like I was in my 40s, I have a small child and I don't know why it hit me more than anything else, but I was freaked out of how out of shape I was. And so the next morning, I'm also not a morning person, by the way. So the next morning, I couldn't really sleep. I woke up like naturally at 5.30, dark as anything. And I didn't have running shoes. Like I had these Nikes that were not running shoes. And I put them on and went outside. And I thought, I have to like, I have to get in shape. I cannot, I cannot, you know, like die early with this like five-year-old, right? And um, I was so out of breath and so out of shape that I could run no kidding, like two blocks. And that was it. And it was dark. And so I'd run like two blocks and then I'd walk and then I'd walk for like a while. <laughs> like, I'm sure this is not regular rock, walk, run intervals. And I just started doing, I also didn't know, like you probably shouldn't run exactly every day. And so I was just doing that with these God awful, like Nikes that weren't running shoes and um, kind of gradually built up to, you know, where I could consistently run and not that I ever was fast, but eventually then kind of got going. And, um, I was at then a Christmas party where my colleagues in my division were like, gonna, you know, Hey, let's do this Baltimore relay. And I'm like, there's no way what's the shortest distance. And it was like five or six miles. And I thought I could not, like, I could run a mile at that point. And that's what motivated me which is exactly what still motivates me now. It's like, if I don't have races, because I don't consider a race because I'm so slow in a sense, but, um, and Emmy's going to kill me for saying that, but you know, I'm not, not speedy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm fine. Emmy with my pace, but, um, but, uh, that's what motivated me. So we did this relay and this is the crazy part. That's not so uh, certainly not funny, but it was just insane. So we do this relay and I'm the second leg. And it ended up being like six miles. And I'm coming through this kind of straightaway in Baltimore to hand off. It was not a baton. It was this weird scrunchie because it's Baltimore. And uh, you're going to hand off the scrunchie to someone else. And there was a guy on the ground. And I, I'm sure, unfortunately, like many people, you know, who run, <clears throat> you, you see, you know, these terrible things happen of, of people sometimes collapsing. 
and I get up and there's these two young women who were who were there working on him doing CPR and I just said do you need help and they said yes and we started rotating in and doing CPR on him and I will never forget I mean he um, was very very young looking had these blue eyes which I will never forget which were so haunting and we kind of rotated through it seemed like forever until EMS came they came they took him away it turned out as a quick aside that these two other women we, we actually like stood up and one of them said to me Dr. Hop and it turned out it was like a former med student of mine actually both of them were um, and so we we kind of like continued on and we kept in touch um, and kind of long story short this guy survived and wow. found us. No. He basically, it was this super weird story, which I, I won't bring with all the details, but basically he was kind of connect. He was taken to University of Maryland where I work. And so, you know, by the kind of amazingness of people knowing each other and kind of talking, they had this story. He was a police officer, is a police officer in Baltimore. And in fact, we knew that because um, he had uh, Under Armour did these shirts for the Baltimore police. So he had it on his shirt when we were with him and all these police officers in the same shirts were kind of around and trying to help when we were doing the CPR. So we ended up getting connected and we met him the following year. We all did the relay again. And it was most, one of the most powerful things absolutely ever. Like I don't, I don't do CPR. I've never saved anyone with CPR. These two women really were running this. I had no idea what I was doing. And um, the crazy part of it was that CPR was like what got me into running. Yeah. And it kind of freaks, I'm not into these like, oh, this is, you know, I don't know that it has any meaning, but the coincidence of it was just, uh, was just amazing. And then we got to meet him and kind of run with him part of the way. Uh, he, he went back to running. He was okay. He had like this, you know, huge LED occlusion. Um, <gasps> wow. Yeah. And, um, and so it was just, it was insane. And so it, there was just so many kind of like weird components of the, you know, the story and kind of getting into it. And so now like this relay is, is just so meaningful to me. So it was like so awful to have it canceled last year and he keeps in touch and, you know, we're hoping this, this fall we can do it again. That's a crazy story. It's yeah, like yeah. full circle. You you know, you wouldn't have been able to do CPR on anyone a couple years ago. And right. you wouldn't have been there because of the running anyway, if you hadn't started running. Um, and you were there because of running and you quit and you helped save a life. It was just, it was crazy. And that's not what I, you know, I don't feel like that's the kind of doctor I am. And it was this, obviously like this team effort and thank God these women were you know doing it before I got there and knew what they were actually both surgery residents and kind of got things going. And yeah. it just was, it was just so intense on so many levels. And then to be able to like meet him was just, we, we got obviously like completely choked up and, um, you know, it, it just, it was, it was pretty cool. Amazing. That's our second resuscitation story. I don't know if you've heard Sounies. Oh yeah. Had one, she was running in the park and some guy just like keeled over who was actually a trauma surgeon uh, or some kind of surgeon, <laughs> a young guy, but wow. See mama docs saving the world by running and doing CBR all over the place. That's, that's amazing. Wow. Well, he, yeah, he, and he was, he really, he got himself like, you know, into rehab and, and he clearly was, was somebody who was getting himself all back out there too. Right. Like he, he was yeah. telling us afterwards that he kept asking his doctors when he could go back out and run. <laughs> so when, when we talk about like me going back to work, that's kind of nothing. This guy like, you know, has an LED occlusion and goes back out and runs a relay. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it, it was just, it was amazing to see him. It was very cool. Do you have a family? Do you know anything about him? He does. Yeah. Um, yeah. Married, family, um, little kids. So, ah. I mean, he was young. Yeah. Is young. Wow. Amazing. All right. 
we're gonna hop off and get right back on if anyone is running turn around it's halfway through the podcast <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll send you a text okay bye oh you can hear me yes all right so how long ago was that story that that episode yeah i you know god seriously i'm like turning 50 and forgetting dates and stuff already um i started running in 2016 so that was the relay was fall of 2007 no that couldn't have been 20 we didn't do right because of covid so we did it in 19 and 18 so it had to been 2018 was the relay Mm. yeah and you'd run like five or six miles in your leg yeah i ran six so this that was that was a funny thing about running too so i mean i just I am seriously no expert now, but I realize it's always funny looking back on what you don't know. So I'm, you know, I'm at this Christmas party and everybody's talking about what legs. And I said, well, I just, I'm going to run the shortest. It didn't occur to me. I didn't know what the hell elevation was or that like, I mean, I don't know why I wouldn't have thought about it. You don't need to be a runner to know that there's sometimes hills and it's sometimes flat. And so at first I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll take the five mile leg because that's the shortest. And um, thankfully, I was running with uh, two guys, another woman. Thankfully, one of them said, you know, you might want to check the elevation on the legs first before you like pick one. So, um, yeah, it turned out I run the I ran the second leg both times, which is thankfully more kind of downhill (laughs) from um, like the Hopkins undergrad campus down to the harbor. Awesome. It was fun. And then when did you do like longer distances or have like... Well, by longer, like the longest I've ever done is a half marathon. So I mean, really, I am not a, um, you know, I, I know everybody says, don't never say never on the marathon. I've never run a marathon. Um, who knows? But uh, who knows? I wasn't even planning on running half. I mean, I wasn't really planning on running, right? Like, so yeah. I, I was doing my little 5Ks, which are great. I was not racing them. I ran like 11 minute miles. I was love, you know, enjoying it because it just motivated me. And I did a couple of like 10Ks. And, um, so I've done two half marathons, basically a friend of mine had said she had like this bucket list idea of going to Nashville to do the rock and roll half. And, um, and she had been a runner all her life and did marathons. And I'm like, what the hell? And, um, I remember getting, um, just one of these schedules, you know, like a Halloween marathon. And I just followed it cause I can like follow instructions. But I remember actually posting and saying like, how the hell is this going to happen? Like I can run a max of like five or six miles and somebody posted and just said, just do it, you know, just follow it. And I thought, I remember sitting there and just kind of thinking, well, that's just crazy. Like how this is going to happen. And we did it. And that was the first half I had run, which was in 2019. It was super fun. It was hilly. It was very hilly. Um, relatively speaking, I'm sure it's like no Boston or New York, but, um, it was certainly not flat, like my little relay. And, um, it was absolutely fantastic. We had just so much fun. I had never been to Nashville. So a group of us had actually gone down and run and went out afterwards and listened to music. And so it just, it was such a great thing. And I kind of thought, well, you know, that might be one and done, um, but I just like felt like it, again, it wasn't necessarily about the running. It was like the process and the, just the training. I just felt so much better. Again, I, I know it's like a cliche with it, but I just felt better mentally and physically. And so, and I'm not good with like not having a plan or like a goal to go to. So I did um, the Philly half where I actually finally got to meet some people in person from this group. La- oh, I was gonna say last November. It's co- yeah, crazy COVID. It was, but it was November before COVID, right? So like 2000, I guess it was the same year, 2019. Yes. Um, and I, I'm from Philadelphia, so it was just super fun to go back there, and it was great, great crowds, and uh, really cold. On it your was day. cold. Yes, my it was. Ran it that day. It I was did the marathon, but that day actually you had a. You had a better day, but it was very cold. Yes. Right. Because you guys had rain, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I always have rain, no matter what. But yes, um, it was slightly warmer, but it was wet. But I feel like it was like 30 degrees in the morning. Oh, totally. 
when it le- or maybe even high 20s like in the early morning when you guys were out there because I was trying to like figure out how to get him into the corral or whatever <laughs> there but it was yeah it was co- it was cold but it was a nice running morning like when you guys took off I remember that yeah and it was absolutely beautiful and like I didn't actually kind of go with anyone like I met you know many of you like at the dinner that evening which I guess was you know kind of in between yeah. um but I kind of just ran by myself in a sense and so again everybody like helped which was really great because I still didn't exactly know what I was doing I like running in cold weather I like completely wilt in anything warm so I don't mind cold but yeah at the start was crazy freezing so somebody had told me um just that I I guess maybe this is kind of specific to Philly I don't know you could tell me but that like they um got huge jackets and then you kind of throw them off and then they collected them and I hope this is actually true otherwise I feel awful but that they like donated them to Goodwill yeah um And so I went to actually the expo like the night before for packet pickup and got this. The the only thing I could find was this man's extra large coat that like came to my knees. (laughs) And so I basically stood and, you know, walked to the start. um, And um, and then, you know, we kind of we basically like put them to the side. Right. And I I hope that was true. Yeah. (laughs) Right. A lot of the major marathons and half marathons do that, that they collect and they give them to Goodwill. Oh, yeah. good. Okay. Thank God. Because I, yeah. I, I always kind of worried that I like, just like threw a jacket. So um, I'm sure someone is, is um, appreciating and <laughs> that coat right now. So <laughs> yeah. So that it, right. But then once we were going, it was just full. And I, I had like, huge IT band problems which I still kind of have and so at like mile eight I felt like I was just done but um it was it was absolutely fantastic so I then you know overdid it where then I was like okay now this is fabulous I'm totally into these half marathons I'm going to sign up for everything and I'm sure many people did this like pre-COVID so I had everything I had gotten into the cherry blossom lottery which I was super excited about because I'm near DC I was going to do the march half DC rock and roll like I had everything as I think many (laughs) many people did and then right they just like fell like cards so yeah Yeah. so that that was it I don't know once you have a really good experience at one of those really big marathons it's like an addiction I feel like yeah yeah it's you're like oh my gosh this is amazing so um yeah I'm sure that was super disappointing but um how is I mean, there's a lot to talk about. How has COVID been? Well, first of all, let's talk about your family. Um, you're married and you have yep. one beautiful son, Jake. <laughs> um, so tell us about him. Tell us about your journey with him. Yeah. So um, so Jake is going to be eight. I'm sure he knows exactly how many days on May 19th. Um, mm-hmm. And we have had him in our family since he was 18 months old. So we adopted him from Korea in uh, 2014. So, yeah, I, we, um, we've been trying to have uh, children, um, obviously, biologically. And I shouldn't say obviously. Many people choose to adopt first. But um, I, I kind of ha- always had in my head that I might just have one child. I was kind of late to start. And um and it didn't go well. I had, as I um, had mentioned, this clouding disorder, which I ended up finding out after I had several miscarriages. And by that point, I was basically getting close to, to 40. And so we didn't know what the problem was exactly. And, um, you know, for anybody who's been been through miscarriages, and I, I certainly learned afterwards also that it's so many more people than you than you know, right? And you know this professionally as well. But um, I didn't, it was one of the things about that process that I, that I learned going through it. I did not, I was extraordinarily private. So I didn't kind of let on to anybody. Um, most of the pregnancies were pretty early. One was a little later and it was really rough. Um, and so we, you know, met, like many people kind of had to make a decision of how we we're moving forward. And because of this, uh, uh, like an anti light than antibody because of that. Um, we just basically ended up deciding that we weren't going to do IVF. I was getting pregnant. I just couldn't maintain the pregnancy. So 
we pivoted and um, looked at adoption and my, my um, nephew was adopted from Korea also. My uh, sister-in-law unfortunately had um, a, a stillborn child at, at, at term. And so they, they had gone through that process, which was helpful to us to kind of learn about. And uh, after three and a half years of that process, we met Jake. And so he was, um, he was six months when we got matched with him and then 18 months when we could bring him home. And so we got to go to Korea, which was absolutely amazing. Um, and so we went twice to go get him, to meet him and go get him and go to court and kind of speak about ourselves as potential adoptive parents. It's quite the process. Uh, and then we brought him home and, um, and now he has a crazy energetic, almost eight year old. So he's, he's a lot of fun. Um, and so I, I cannot imagine him kind of not being in our family, which is, which is pretty crazy, but uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of a tumultuous course to, to get to him. And, and now he, I, I don't know if he keeps me young, but he keeps me active, which is really great. He's what an incredible story. Yeah, I feel like, let me think, I think on the podcast, at least I've had Gay uh, Purcell who um, adopted through the foster system and then Carmen Blissett who domestically adopted. So you're, you're another adoption story that's uh, international adoption. So now we have lots of different stories throughout our, our mama docs here. Um, yeah. Was it a natural sort of decision because you were familiar with the international adoption through your sister-in-law? Like, had you spent a lot of time considering other options? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. It, it's it's funny to kind of, I have, honestly haven't thought back on it in so long, but it was somewhat, not made for us, but it, the options were narrowed more than I expected. Again, like, you know, most things you don't often kind of know all these details till you dive into it. But um, we were basically in our 40s at the time and, and were really open to, to anything um, and met with people in the adoption agency that, that our family, uh, that my brother-in-law had used. And they, we actually just didn't qualify for a lot of things. So that was kind of eye-opening and mm. frankly frustrating at the time. So we're Jewish. So we didn't, um, internationally, we didn't qualify to adopt from certain countries because of our, um, because of our religion. And then we had other crazy things like my husband had been divorced. And so that knocked out a couple of countries. And uh, I mean, just like all these things that like, I never, never knew were associated with adoption. And then we thought, well, maybe we'll adopt domestically as well. And they kind of advised us against it. They just said that we might have a longer wait because we were quote older parents and uh, and many birth moms because you know in domestic adoption they basically pick you um, might not find us as attractive um, and also I, I think you know emotionally it, it just there's no perfect option I mean all you know I think adoptions are complicated in some ways and um, I wasn't sure after having so many pregnancy losses I could also. I wasn't sure if I could handle the period of time we had to wait where then the birth mother could change her mind or the birth parents could change their minds. And while I was 110% respectful of it, I wasn't sure I could handle that. I just, it felt too tenuous. Whereas in um, adoption from Korea, it, you know, just worked differently. And so um, I think all those things together and then certainly you know, my nephew who, who uh, was from Korea as well, we felt like that really could be um, a bond with him. And, and they are, they're really far apart in age. He's a teenager, but they just, they both expressed to us everything from like when they were little, that there was someone else who looked like them in the family to, you know, just that they kind of feel this different connection from everybody else. So um, that's been, that's been important too. Um, and so we, we, I mean, we love the food in Korea. We loved going to Korea. We try really hard to keep that part of things for Jake as much as we can. His, um, his middle name is his name that his birth mother gave him. And um, by no means this is simple. The other night I had to 
Um, <laughs> I had to explain everything from like the birds and the bees to why his birth mother is not here. And that was like in the middle of this cancer diagnosis. Wow. So, um, yeah, it was like, dude, seriously, like your timing on all this is like a little bit complicated. So, you know, it's, I'm, I remain like worried about like how I do this and how you handle these conversations. I mean, it's just, it's a lot sometimes, but you know, most, most days we don't, we don't kind of engage in that, but we'll see. I think, you know, it's going to be challenges that everybody has, but uh, I I welcome any advice on it. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm sure most days is just like what's for dinner, but totally most days one day it was like, so (laughs) one day is like, where's my mom, my birth mom. And I know (laughs) seriously. And he always asks, like, he always asks me, I'm like, Brent, my husband, I'm like, where are you? Go ask dad. (laughs) Usually it's, can I have more iPad time or can I go outside or yeah. So, uh, yes, it's, it's not usually super, super complicated, but. I'm sure, you know, you know, just the fact that you love him so much, it's just so apparent, you know, how much care and love you, you know, have for this little boy, but, uh, you know, and that is almost always enough. Uh, But I'm curious as to what you said to him. I mean, you don't have to spill your guts right now. Um, And it's hard. You've got to, you know, speak to a seven-year-old, not a 17-year-old, you know, those are yeah. different conversations at different points of life. Obviously he's known his whole life that he is, a, you know, he's, he's adopted. So. Yeah. So we've been, no, and I'm, I'm, I'm an open book about these things and, and you're all like everybody's physician. So I can tell you actually the crazy part of the story of how it happened. So he, yeah, I, I mean, there's clearly like supposed to be different things you say at different ages and I, I need to read and learn more about how to approach things. But we, we've said from day one, like, we also emphasize everybody's differences. Like I'm from New Jersey, you're from Korea, you know, we, but we've been very, very open about that. Remember, we don't, all, we also don't know everything. Like we know certain things, but um, we've also felt that it's important. Like some of this is very private and is going to be his story and he can decide, you know, who he tells different things. But the, the story actually came out of like <laughs> just completely different, although now that I think about it related, he asked me, like, he just randomly, as I put him to bed, asked me like the most detailed questions and like heavy questions. So it, it was literally like the week, I think after I got this cancer diagnosis, I told him about that. He was, he was actually pretty cool about it. And we got into bed and he asked, I mean, he uses uh, perfectly fine language, which is great, but he said, um, you know, mommy, how come my penis sometimes um, will move? And I'm like, what? And then I realized what he's yes. asking me about. Yes. And and I thought, oh, okay. Didn't didn't know we'd be talking about this at seven, but good. I'm fine with talking about anything medical. And I've always like, you know, felt like we're gonna use the proper words for everything, et cetera. And but he always wants to know like details of things. Like with the surgery, he wanted to know were they gonna be a scalpel or what was it? And la la la. And so he wanted to know basically why it happened and so I find myself explaining intercourse (laughs) and and then in the back of my mind I'm like well I'm only explaining it between a man and a woman that's not very like open to how other you know to women and I'm like well I can't in the back of my head I'm like I can't do all that right so (laughs) let me just do (laughs) let me just focus on this and I'm explaining it and he wants pictures and I'm like oh my god I'm gonna like end up getting right so Anyway, I explained as much as I felt like seemed reasonable. And he has like this pregnant pause and then says to me, "Um, so you're naked when you do this. And I said, well, yes, basically. And he starts giggling. And then I said, Jake, what's what's funny about it? And he goes, well, do I have to be naked in front of other people? And I said, well, generally, no. (laughs) What do you mean? He basically thought, he said, I thought that maybe you had to do this at your marriage ceremony. Ah. And I was like, no. And he seemed very reassured (laughs) that, like, this was not something that happened at your wedding in front of all of your guests. Oh, that's Um, adorable. um, But, yeah, and then I thought we were good. I'm like, (laughs) okay, taking a deep breath. And then he, he just basically started asking questions of, like, so, you know, that's where I came from my birth mom and then kind of went into that. 
So, you know, I just explained to him kind of what I know. I said, we'll talk about things more as we, you know, go along. But she, I explained in, you know, more um, detailed terms that she needed help. And um, she asked for help, which was really great. And that made her a very strong person because that's, you know, when we need to ask for help, that's really important. And then there were a lot of people that helped your foster family, who he, he knows who they are. And and we helped and, you know, the people in Korea helped and that's how you're here. And, you know, I explained it in more detail than that, but that was kind of the focus. I have no mm. idea if that's right. the right well, approach, but. No, I think that's a really good way to frame things, you know, because um, I'm not an expert either, but it can sound scary, you know, um, framed differently. So, um, and just to know that he's loved by all these people is um, would be affirming to him. So um, that sounds right to me. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, you know, between I, I was pretty accurate on the intercourse part, the birth. Mother right. Part, I was like, this is a lot in one night, Jake. You know, so like, <laughs> we'll, we'll kind of do more later, but yeah. Yeah. I totally would have been like, can you go ask your dad now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he sounds like an amazing little boy curious awesome wonderful little boy um is your sister I'm just curious your sister-in-law is related to you how your my husband's brother yeah so she's um your husband's brother got my husband is a brother exactly so Mm -hmm. and then like physically are they close like geographically or not really you like go and visit them sometimes yeah, we and they're in Northern Virginia, which like I don't know. Somehow around here always feels extraordinarily far away. They're not super far. I mean, it's mm. like you know a little over an hour, but it's like far enough that they're not you know next door. So um, yeah, so we see them sometimes. And my sister lives up in New York, so we don't have anybody like really, really immediate. My parents both died a long time ago, and so uh, we have my mother-in-law and Brent's family, but. Um, so there's some people around, but you know, mostly a lot of the kind of close network is friends um, who are great. Right. Amazing. And is Jake remote this year or that's a whole <laughs> huge conversation too, but like, how did you guys deal with that this year? Oh, goodness. Well, at, honestly, like he, everybody else dealt with it. I have to say like they, they all did great because I've been at work and so um he's been remote he is actually going back five days a week starting monday which we are Woo-hoo! super excited about <laughs> um he is really exciting because he's an only child and so also i, I mean it, it doesn't matter every kid has you know all these challenges but like there's no one here right and so um i for me it was important for him to go back uh and for us it was important because just all that socialization i mean there's kids in the neighborhood but it's not the same thing um and so yeah so he he's he actually did pretty well he's he had a hard time I think emotionally he's you know kind of acted out more and been more oppositional all that kind of stuff but that's hard I mean I've probably been like that too so um I'm more fussy right and um so I I think he handled it really great everybody here has held on the fort my husband's been remote for a year he works for the government and so they got sent home like immediately and then we're really lucky to have an au pair who somehow came here um, in the middle of COVID from Germany mm. on this, you know, these special visas for healthcare workers. So she um, she has been here all year. And so they've been managing, you know, the virtual school. Um, and so we we had the opportunity to they were letting some kids back five days a week. And so I asked if he could come back and and they felt like he might do, do a little bit better you know, in person with other kids. So, so we're super excited. Awesome. <laughs> Monday. Second grade. Second grade. Yeah. Yes. Finishing second grade. Exactly. Awesome. Awesome. Had you guys um, ever thought about adopting more? I mean, it seemed like from the beginning, you're thinking of just having one child but once you had him did you ever consider that or are you considering that oh god (laughs) (laughs) 
I think that ship has sailed. Although you I never know. People, you I know. have listened to podcasts recently. Wait, who had embryos that maybe you were going to take? Oh, I think that was that was Nicoletta. Nicoletta, right? Yes. Um, yes. No, my ship has definitely sailed. So, and actually, I will be. Uh, well, I guess I could do adoption. I will be in menopause officially through my hormone therapy in a couple months. But right. Um, no, but uh, yeah, so we actually couldn't adopt from Korea again. I, the rules have changed, although frankly, I haven't followed them. But um, after we brought Jake home, um, they had age limits also. Ugh. So, um, you know, and I, I just, it is what it is. And, yeah. You know, there's just decisions countries make for different things domestically. But, um, but we were okay with it. We really, really grappled with it. I grew up, I have half sisters, but I grew up by myself. And so I, I had kind of thought I was fine, but um, we, we thought it might be helpful for him to have a sibling. And, and so we couldn't, I mean, that door was just closed and we certainly weren't, they, they didn't think we were candidates for domestic adoption for the same reason. So we just decided to kind of, it, it was really tough. I remember going out to dinner and kind of talking about it with my husband and, um, and, you know, there were a lot of pros and cons, but we also felt like we were so lucky with him mm. and he was healthy, which was like, you know, number one through 10 on my list and seemed like a happy kid. And, and maybe we should just, you know, close the page on that. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I don't know, but I try not to like, you know, revisit decisions that I've made. So, um, I, he definitely would have loved to have a sibling. He definitely would love to have a dog now. But um, <laughs> well, but, that yeah. you could give him, Jennifer. <laughs> I'm the only one in the house. But, yeah. Um, so yeah. So no, that it just kind of ended up getting closed for us, and yeah. so that that made it easier. And then you know we just we moved along, and he's been great. I meant to comment on before, and I guess there's nothing really to say or do about it. But I was shocked to hear about the religion being such a limiting factor in international adoption that is appalling yeah. actually yeah it was surprising i mean it it's just there you know there's some countries where obviously as you know you know religion is takes more of maybe a front seat and so at least from the adoption standpoint you have to be catholic or um oh you have uh, to be a certain religion uh, yeah, I remember one country in particular, like you had to be Catholic to adopt from that country. So that was out. And then there's somewhere you have to have some indigenous tie to the country. And again, I, that I, I mean, I understand it. But so then those countries were out. Uh, we were out because of age in one or two places. We were definitely out because of my husband's prior divorce. I mean, it was just like, That's weird. Oh, oh my, my gosh. God. Well, and it was like we hadn't, it was something super weird about it. It was like, he was divorced and then we hadn't been married long enough. Like somehow, you know, right. Right. But if you had been married long enough, then like, then you would be too old. Like from, right. Exactly. Right. (laughs) right. For for that country too. Somehow we'd be better parents. I mean, who knows? Whatever. You just can't like, I remember being super frustrated and then it's like, well, just, you don't have control over it. Right. And you're not going to go. So so arbitrary. Uh. Yeah. it was interesting, but yeah. Korea, Korea was just, um, just such a perfect fit. And, um, we, we were, you know, we really were kind of actually hoping to maybe go back this year. And so we'll see, we'll, um, Jake is like incredibly interested in going and, uh, loves the food. And so yeah. someday, someday. Does he, I mean, he, I guess he was 18 months, you know, I mean, people don't really have memories far back. No, but you know that. I don't think so. Well, I actually hope not because it was, um, it was not a, it was not like this joyous day that I had in mind. I mean, he, you know, for anybody who's had an 18 month old, they know who they think their parents are. Right. And so it was, it was, a it was really, hard. It was a really hard day. And, um, it was a really hard year actually kind of after that he, he would wake up like every hour, <clears throat> almost like an infant and like cry and, it was crazy, but uh, um, he was disoriented, pro- you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think he was grieving in some way. I, it wasn't, I don't think it was, you know, I mean, it wasn't that it was normal or abnormal, but it certainly was, was traumatic. But I, so I don't think he remembers, but the interesting thing is like, he, he loves, like, I wonder if food 
somehow ingrains, you know, in your memories and your brain because he he just instantaneously like when we came home, people brought all this food, right? So they brought lasagna and whatever, all these different kinds of more American foods. And he was fine with it. And I have a good friend across the street who's Korean and she made sundubu and all these different um, Korean foods and brought them over and he just ate them. Oh. I mean, it, it was really interesting. And I was like, oh, like he recognizes these tastes. And yeah. so ever since then, like my husband learned how to, he cooks, I don't cook. <laughs> so he cooks Korean food and not all the time, but like it's Jake's favorite. So uh, I, I think it's super interesting. Like I wonder if that just kind of got imprinted in some way. Yeah, I really believe that. Like in culture, I don't com- consider myself particularly Korean. I don't speak Korean. I've been there one time. Um, I, you know, but food is definitely something that is a connection. Um, and it's just like a primal preference you know, yeah, <laughs> in yeah. people I'm like, yeah, rice. That's what I want to eat. Right yeah. <laughs> so that's super interesting. Oh, that's, that's such an amazing story. Uh, and he seems like a happy kid. Like all your pictures are like smiley and he's, uh, well, you know, that's, that's like, I mean, you don't post the pictures of like, the kid, like, yeah. right, but, no, he is. I'm teasing, but, um, yeah, no, I think he he's a very happy and very loving kid. I mean, this I'm not judging this year because it's just tough for everybody, right? But um, like he just he'll and, and I don't think he's necessarily extraordinary, but you know, your own kid is extraordinary to you. When I was kind of post op and in bed, he'd like come up and he'd say, I'm just coming to check on you. And you know, Aww. you see these little things that <clears throat> I just, you know, kind of melt your heart and make you forget all the the things where they're screaming but <laughs> yeah um but yeah no I think he he's very he's he's a he's a sweet kid and super thoughtful and uh-huh. you know you guys have anything planned um for tomorrow tomorrow Mother's Day or is that a secret I don't know I assume it's either the answer is either no or it's <laughs> <laughs> or yes and you have no idea well right, right. yes I, I do not know but um you know, I always grapple with the, like, is Mother's Day supposed to be that mom gets to just, like, relax and do whatever? Or, right. So I am planning to try to run. We will see how this goes. <gasps> That's um, exciting. That is my Mother's Day plan. So, yeah, I've only done, I did a mile and a half post-op. And so I have, obviously, like, 12 more to go to actually be, I'm not going to be able to run this half, which is fine. But um, I'd like to try to you know, use these four weeks to kind of get a little closer. So, um, yes. Yeah. So I'm going to try, my goal is three, but if I don't get it, you know, we'll, we'll just see how, how the pain goes with it. I'm like strapping on someone, <laughs> Julie said like lock and load. <laughs> so I'm going to try <laughs> to like try to strap things on and, and go. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I think we're just hang out and I don't know. We'll, we'll yeah. see. Well, we're cheering for you. You do have this half uh, Grand Tetons in what you said, four weeks, five weeks, four weeks. Yep. Four weeks. So, you know, I know you're going to do it even if you have to walk the whole damn thing. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, I hope they'll let me. I was actually thinking of like email, you know, it's one of these vacation races, which was um, talk about addiction. I think it was like 11 o'clock some night in the middle of COVID. I'm not normally up then. And I like signed up for it. And um, because it was happening and I felt like I needed something and I thought I was going to go. I love travel. And so I just needed something. So it's also kind of like my since I'm turning 50, like an early birthday present to myself, because I've always wanted to see that area, maybe go to Yellowstone. Um, And I thought, I mean, before all this happened, obviously, I thought I could run it. And uh, so we'll see. So I thought maybe I'd email them and see. Like, I don't remember if there's a cutoff pace yeah. <laughs> if I walk like 22 minute miles or something, like whether that would work. Um, I'd like to try to run walks. So I'll have to like read more about how, how you do that. But um, yeah, so well, we'll see. It's going to be awesome. It's, you know, we'll be there cheering you on this whole time. And we're so happy for your, uh, for your treatment plan that it seems um, knock on wood, relatively simple and routine. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we, w- we just want, 
no surprises. So exactly, exactly. Um, thank you so much for spending. Oh my gosh, it's been over an hour now. I'm sure. Oh, I'm surprised <laughs> he didn't walk in. Like Jake didn't like knock on the door. Like I know. Try. Well, it's beautiful and sunny outside, and so his like next door neighbor friend asked him to come out and play. So that's the only reason it's been quiet. Oh, but yeah. Oh god. Yeah. Very good. But thanks for spending this time with us. I really enjoyed um, our conversation. And, you know, I, I hope you have a great speedy recovery. Thank you. It was super fun and really great to talk to you. Yeah. All right. Take care, Jenny. Bye. Okay, bye. And there you have it. Thanks for listening, ladies. I had forgotten to warn you that there were some outtakes. I just decided to leave everything in for everyone's enjoyment uh, because, I don't know, it always makes me smile when I hear outtakes. So um, you got the full story there. Um, I hope you all had a fabulous Mother's Day. And until next time, happy running. Happy running.